Hey everyone, Jabez here from the Library Scoop, the official podcast of the Niles Main District Library. And in our second installment of Niles Best, we have Michael, the Shores Historian of Shores Incorporated. Uh, Shores Incorporated is an American audio product company that is located in Niles. And Michael is here today to talk about the history of the company and how it has evolved throughout the years. And I hope you enjoy. All right, Michael, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. How are you, sir? I'm well. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. I look forward to talking to you. Well, it's an honor to be speaking with you. Thank you for your time. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, let's begin. Uh, So for the audience listening to this, can you talk to us about what is your uh, role within Shures and then how uh, you you came a part of it? Well, I've been there for 45 years, believe it or not. And uh, I've had five different careers at Shure. <clears throat> I didn't start out as a historian. It came about after being there for a long time. But uh, it was around 2016 when I was maybe going to get ready to retire. Mm-hmm. And our, our president, Chris Shavink, said, you know, you've got so much history up in that brain of yours. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I'd like you to stay around and be the historian and teach the world about our history and teach new associates about our history as well. Yeah. So I said, how could I pass up something like that? What a great opportunity. Right. You know, a lot of it has to do with uh, we've been privately held for 96 years. And, right. you know, when you're when you're a publicly held company, it's always Wall Street wants the profits. And they look at things as, oh, we don't need a historian. Get rid of the historian. But when you're privately held, you have the opportunity to do that. Interestingly enough, particularly over the last year with the COVID, our history has almost become a huge selling point for us. People seem to be really fascinated with sure history. And I'm happy to tell it. Well, let's get to it. So for people who have not heard of this company, or don't, doesn't know that is a Chicago-based company. Can you want to elaborate to talk about the history of the company just briefly? So 1925, um, we were formed. Uh, it was done, formed by a 23-year-old man named S.N. Schur, Sidney Natkin Schur, but he preferred his initials S.N. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was born in 1902 in Chicago. And at age 23, he started the Schur Radio Company, which at that time simply was a catalog company that sold parts So one could build their own AM radio at home. Mm -hmm. In the 1920s, uh, AM radio was like the computers of the 70s. All the young kids, all the young hip kids wanted to build AM radios. And so he said, well, I'm going to build a catalog company that allows you to do those parts. So we did that. Uh, His brother joined the company in 1928. And that's when they changed the name of the company from the Sure Radio Company to Sure Brothers Company. Right. Even though even though his brother only stayed there for two years, we kept the Sure Brothers name until 2000. I guess we had stationery we had to use up or something. I'm not certain why we kept the name for that such a long period of time. Right. But around by 1930, people were buying radios pre-made, and the the demand for kits started to really fall off. Mm-hmm. So at that time, Mr. Sure, like any other businessman trying to keep in business, started looking what other things could I sell. Well. Turned out that microphones were becoming needed in a lot of different things. For example, hard to imagine it now in 2021, but these are new technologies in the 1930s. Uh, Radio broadcasting, Mm -hmm. public address address systems, two-way radio, um, other things like that. And they all needed microphones. So we started distributing microphones in 1930 and starting building our own microphones in 1932. In 2021, primarily what we build now or manufacture are 
microphones for all types of purposes, conferencing, recording, live yeah. sound, earphones, mm -hmm. all kinds of audio products. It kind of sounds like it quickly evolved from the 20s into the 30s and it just rapidly increased like every decade. Uh, can you just like talk to us about what, what that transition was like as more radio kits were starting to decline and the demand for microphones increased? It was uh, in around 1930. I think we were pretty much close to going out of business. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it was that you start out with an idea and then that idea fades. Mm -hmm. So um, the the biggest thing that came about, and you're right, television was around in the 1930s, but it was experimental. And right. It really didn't become popular until like the early 1950s. But uh, the one thing that really helped us a great deal is in 1936, Mr. Schur hired a young engineer named Ben Bauer. Mm -hmm. And he, over those years, basically became, when he died in 1979, he had over 100 patents to his name. Imagine, you know, when people are happy getting one patent. Imagine having 100 patents. Yeah. And one of his very first patents led to the famous, the most famous Shure microphone, which is called the Unidyne One, which is the Elvis microphone, the birdcage microphone, the, the, the everything when the click on the icon in your upper right hand corner of your uh, computer, and it's a microphone and that is the Shure Unidyne. Yeah. So it was that Unidyne in 1939 that really put the company on the map. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, much of our business today goes back to that product. Interestingly enough, Imagine it's a microphone we brought out in 1939 and is still in production in 2021. That's in, that's impressive. Like yeah. who like who knew that um, microphones in the early 30s could still generate as much popularity and the need in this current time. Yeah, it's it's really it's really an amazing aspect is that microphones have lifespans of decades many many decades you know uh, imagine uh, apple making a product that's 30 you know that was came out in 1939 today it just doesn't happen right they, they have yeah. their their products are measured in year in, you know short years we're measured right. in decades it's a completely right different. now transitioning into the 40s it's where um sure i had contacts with the united states uh, army to help during world war ii do you want to discuss that relationship yeah, that, that was a really important part of our history so uh we were located downtown chicago 225 west huron and around 1941 we were contacted by the u.s military saying you know they could foresee a war was coming mm -hmm. and they wanted to in induct sure into making microphones and headphones for military applications oh wow no, I did research prior to our conversation about this topic and, it, and the equipment uh, that was made during or ma um, manu manufactured during this time was quite impressive. It was just more like headsets, uh, oxy oxygen mask, microphones, throat. Um, yeah, throat microphone. Exactly. Throat microphone? Okay. Yeah, it basically, it's, it, what, what was going on back then is that it was so noisy in the cockpit of fighter airplanes, mm -hmm. the regular microphone was useless. Uh, because right. at, you know you're at the other end listening to conversation and you cannot sort out the pilot's voice from the roar of the engine. Mm -hmm. So the concept came up with well, rather than using the air to transmit the information, let's use the vibration of the throat to do mm -hmm. that. Interestingly enough, in 2021, there are beatboxers that use those things for creating music. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's amazing. A lot of it. Sometimes you can help out. Even though I'm the historian, say, 
oh, you know, we tried that 25 years ago and here's what happened. Sometimes it can stop you from making mistakes again. Right. Uh, <clears throat> but I think one of the things that happened is that the, the company making durable products, well, I'll give you a perfect example. When, when COVID hit, uh, I just had this feeling that sure would do quite well through that because when people are under stress and stressful times, they still need products. In this case, they need products to communicate over the computers and so forth. Right. But they're going to go towards, I, I call it a flight to quality. Mm-hmm. They don't want to, they don't want to buy something that in a month is going to break. No. And, and if nothing else, and you look up sure and get rep and look at reviews and so forth around the, you know, on the internet, you'll see, God, you can't kill these products. I mean, I've got products that I bought when I was in high school. They still work fine. Yeah. You know, that That's the ultimate in sustainability, right? The fact mm-hmm. that you buy a product and you can use it for 30 years or 40 Absolutely. years or whatever. So yeah. all those things add up and, or to our favor. 60 or 65 years ago, uh, Sure uh, actually introduced the first uh, wireless um, microphone. That's right. That's right. Uh, can you t- talk to us about that process? Because nowadays yeah. we thought it was like maybe like a little sooner, but, um, but actually it was a couple of years back. So talk to us yeah. about the progress. Well, interestingly enough, our, our first our first microphone that used radio frequencies in any way was actually 1933, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we made a product that took your, you took a sure microphone and you went, ran through this product it was called a modulator. And yeah. then your microphone signal appeared in your local AM radio and mm-hmm. basically acted like a small little amplifier. That's right. not truly a wireless microphone, but it was close. It was, it was going towards that, um, direction. After World War II ended, there was a lot of technology that was developed, <clears throat> a lot of it by Motorola here in Chicago, to create walkie-talkies. And it turns mm-hmm. out that some of the ideas in walkie-talkies said, hmm, wow, we might be able to use that to replace the wire between the microphone and the amplifier. Mm-hmm. So, so our first handheld wireless microphone came out in 1953. Mm-hmm. It was called the Vagabond because you could wander wherever you want, like a vagabond can wander. I love that name. <laughs> And it was in today, it was $700, but that's about $7,000 in today's wow. money. So it was, yeah, exactly. It was wow. not a cheap device. No, it's not. And the very first installation in Chicago was at Holy Name Cathedral. The Cardinal could walk in and talk to the parishioners as he's walking down the aisle. So we sold that wireless microphone from around 1953 to around 1960. And then we got out of the wireless business for almost 25 years, primarily because phonograph cartridges, phonograph needles for playing records. Yeah. Huge, huge part of our business. And we paid more attention to that, but you are right. absolutely correct. Good research. Our first wireless microphone was indeed 1953. Right. No, I, it, it makes sense that the company started to introduce the product, but started to notice that vinyl was still dominating the, uh, the sound industry. But then y'all came back in the 90s with like the L, L series. Yep. Um, we actually did it uh, around 1986. We did a joint project with a competitor called Telex, which kind of got us back into the wireless microphone business. Mm-hmm. You are correct. The L series was the first modern wireless microphone that was designed completely by Shure. Mm-hmm. Now, wireless microphones are the largest portion of our business. COVID wow. aside, because COVID was yeah. kind of a, you know, but now like when with touring sound and, and, 
bars opening up and mm -hmm. concert venues opening up. Yeah. I expect the next next year is going to be a huge demand for people to update their wireless microphones. Absolutely. Just talk to us about how uh, what equipment or priorities does Shores have currently right now. Well, um, interesting enough, well, again, if we go back and we look at the last year, which was really odd because of the pandemic, there's a microphone that we make called an SM7B. This microphone was introduced in 1973, going to be 50 years old, and for mm -hmm. many, many, many years was used primarily just for radio and TV voiceovers and for disc jockeys on radio and so forth. Right. Podcasters got a hold of this microphone around 2008, and the sales started to really go up. 2015, oh, wow. video gamers got a hold of this microphone. And then mm -hmm. last year, with the pandemic, and now here you go, you get a microphone that's nearly 50 years old, and it's selling almost 100 times more than it did 20 years ago. <laughs> right, because, I mean, nowadays, streaming and then also um, video content is through the roof. Yep. Exactly. And so what a strange business to be in where you say, well, you know, this microphone took 35 years before it found its niche. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, what an odd thing, right? You know, Very. It, it's, it's just a strange thing. And so many times in the microphone business or the, you know, the audio pro audio business, you simply must have patience because sometimes yeah. you're, you're ahead of the curve and you just wait and you wait and wait. And then the public catches up with you. Gotcha. So, but uh, right now, um, wireless, again, we expect, let's assume that the pandemic is behind us now. Wireless microphones are certainly a big portion of our business. Wired microphones as well, like the SM7B, mm -hmm. like our, SM50, our SM58, which is the world's most popular micro vocal microphone. If you've ever been to a rock and roll concert anywhere, you've seen SM58 mics. Yeah. Um, and headphones and earphones are growing as well. But the, actually, actually, one of the largest fastest growing thing is what we call conferencing, which is microphones of all sorts for conference rooms so that people mm -hmm. can have little from huddle rooms to big conference rooms. So, right. um, yeah, so it's, you know, microphones are everywhere. People just who are not in the business don't really realize it until they start looking around. I mean, every, every cell phone's got a microphone, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, nowadays it's just like, you're absolutely right. Like everything has a microphone and everything has to acquire sound. So, Yep. You just have yeah, to so the man. Sure is really, you know, we're out front with all the latest music and technologies and so forth. And it's a, mm -hmm. fascinating, it's a fascinating place to work. Absolutely. Um, I'm super impressed of how Sure is, um, is not only a Chicagoland company, but it has stayed in the area for this whole existence. Mm -hmm. uh, do you want to, uh, let's discuss like how, how the decision to stay in the Chicagoland area is important to the founders uh, or, um, and also there, there's so many opportunities that the company could move out to different locations, but why did they want to stay near Chicagoland? Mr. If, Mr. Sure. If you go back, he's got a, there's a wonderful quote uh, in our building talking about how we're in service to perform. Uh, we're in business to perform a service to people. People mm -hmm. includes our customers, of course, Right. Our, our suppliers, but also the communities in which we live. So mm -hmm. he was very much, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Sure were very much in the aspect of we're in business, we make great products, it provides a place for people to work, it provides money for local economy, and it helps the local community. 
So yeah. they always were, they they always believed that, and they were an interesting couple in that. Here, here's here's a couple that could have had, you know, five houses and Rolls Royces and helicopters and everything else, and they didn't live that way. They actually lived very modestly, considering what their wealth was. Right. And what they what they did with most of their wealth was they put it back into the community, mm -hmm. humanitarian and educational efforts. So mm -hmm. it was just part and parcel of how they lived their life. And I don't think it ever even occurred to them to move out of Chicago because it's, it's where they lived. It's where other employees lived. I'll tell you a story real quick um, sure. about why, why sure is in Niles. Mm -hmm. So we were, in, we were in Evanston from 1956 to 2004. Right. And around 1996 or so, we realized that we had to expand. Mm -hmm. And Evanston, which is where I live, um, just really didn't have room to expand. We couldn't we couldn't build up where our offices were because it was landfill. And if we built up, we'd sink down. So that didn't work out. <laughs> we don't want uh, that. Right, didn't want that. And they were looking for some place that had enough land to build. Well, originally they were looking at Hoffman Estates. Now Hoffman mm -hmm. Estates is a long way from Evanston. Absolutely. And if you try to drive that during a commute time, you'll find out it's maybe probably an hour and a half, hour and a good day, maybe an hour and a half, two hours and a bad day. Of course, yeah. So what they wanted to do is, is uh, and by this time, Mr. Schur has passed away, but Mrs. Schur is running the company. And she said, boy, I, I, we really need to find a place that's not too far away from Evanston so it's not inconvenient for all of our associates. But that was an idea about it was important that it wasn't just about what's best for Mrs. Sure, it was what's best for everybody. Absolutely. And so, you know, and so it's about the community and the community being Niles, the community being the people that work there. Mm -hmm. um, the one thing that I wish everyone could know now is I wish they could have known the Sures. Mr. Sure passed away in 1995, yeah. Mrs. Sure in 2016, but they were just community minded people. And the idea of leaving Chicago just never occurred to them. Oh, wow. Thank goodness oh. for me. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm hoping to find someone younger than me that is as interested in history as, as I am <laughs> eventually. Absolutely. I'm pretty sure there, I'm pretty sure there's someone. Else. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And this time, this will be my last question. Okay. Um, what do you, um, right now we're sitting in 2021. Um, yep. The future is bright in the technology and sounding um, equipment world. Where do you see the company uh, future as we continue along in the 21st century? Well, there's a couple, there's a couple things that's not going to change. Um, you know, as long as humans are around and, and we're, you know, not artificial intelligence, we're always going to need some way to take our voice and turn it into electricity. Right. So there's always going to be a need for transducers, which is a fancy word for microphones. We know that. Mm -hmm. On the other end, we're always going to need some way to turn electricity back into audio that we can expand. So that's mm -hmm. a fancy name for earphones and headphones. So that's our primary business. That's our core strength. So I see that going on perhaps, you know, forever, because you're always going to need that until we turn into robots. <laughs> we don't need that. <laughs> Uh, and then the aspect of being able to use um, computing programs to take maybe a large number of microphones and make them even smarter than a, than a single microphone, which we're already doing. I right. see that happening as well. But, you know, there's always going to be a need for like live music. And, uh, you know, the, if you go back and you look how live music is done today with microphones and PA systems and so forth, it's no different than it was in the 50s. I mean, 
it looks a little bit different, but you're still doing the same thing. And there's still an energy between people on stage and people in the audience. Uh, I don't see that changing. Awesome. Well, again, Michael, thank you so much for um, this lovely conversation. And I hope uh, we actually meet in person sometime. That would be nice. Uh, and I appreciate you asking. I hope you've gotten what you wanted because I enjoyed our conversation. Absolutely. Our website has a pretty cool uh, several pages of our history. I think I sent you a link to that. But if not, you can just do uh, sure.com history and see page after page of it. And if someone's really interested in it, there is a 400-page, two-volume history book of the company that covers, oh, wow. 19, covers 1925 to the year 2000. I think the Niles Library has a copy. All right. Um, and if it doesn't, you can let me know and we'll get you a copy. But right. that's 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 the best way to really see our history. Um, that was a book that Mrs. Schur uh, and I put together from around 1995 to the year 2000. Uh, it was it's pretty cool. All right, I'm actually checking our database to see if we had it, uh, where it's like Schur Sound People Products and Values. That's it. That's All it. right. Yes, it is available uh, at Niles Library. Thanks again to Michael for joining us to discuss the rich histories of Shores Incorporated. And thank you for listening to this podcast. And we hope to see you at the library really soon.